edition of Wrestling on Style presents Thunderstorm. I'm your host, Chris Thunderhog, at I am Chris Thunder on Twitter, but I'm not alone. Joining me once again is the freshest man in town, Mr. Alex Fruity Williams. At Fruity is Alex on Twitter. Alex, how are you today? I am fantabulous. I am emotionally drained. I am bored to death, but I am in high spirits after the Mania weekend. Like a lot of the world, we're sort of sitting at home a lot more, sort of not much to do. And we thought we'd do this show as sort of something fun to look back on and sort of have a fun time over the weekend, take everyone's minds off things. So you've yeah. been coping well with the situation, I guess, at the moment or circumstances? Circumstances, as WWE puts it. Extenuating circumstances, I believe. Uh, I'm doing okay, mate. Yeah, I'm working from home all the time now, which is pretty good, but it's also pretty distracting. Yeah, I'm getting used to it, mate. How about yourself? Yeah, so I still work in hospitality. I work at a bottle shop, so I'm still working. I'm working only two to three days a week now instead of my usual five or six, so a lot more time at home, a lot more relaxing, I'd say. And it's good to sort of just spend a bit more time at home anyway with your closest of loved ones that you live with. So it's not a bad thing. So during our time away, I've been working behind the scenes. We're now on three different podcast services for your convenience. That's SoundCloud, Spotify and Podbean. Just search for Wrestling Oz Style. And a big thank you to Beta Club Field Trip for our fantastic theme song. You can find all this great work at betaclubfieldtrip.bandcamp.com. We'll be back in a few weeks with our January 2020 review of the Australian scene and we'll address on that show while we've been away for so long but we want to keep things fun on this show exactly that's what it's all about wrestling which in its purest sense is silly and wonderful and fun and while we've been away we've been lucky enough to be guests on a few different podcast services so we'd like to give a bit of a shout out Alex would you like to give the first shout out yeah a massive shout out to the post wrestling guys John Pollock and waiting for having me on for Rwanda Way and we talked about the Global Warding Tour. Without the guys from Post Wrestling and the old live audio wrestling crew Chris and I might not have actually have reconnected for all these years after high school as we have. Yeah and on that note I'd like to give a shout out to Sunday night's main event with Jason Agnew and Dan Levansky. I was on there about a month ago. It's a midweek mark out with different Patreon listeners from around the world there's one in the uk and one in the us and we're just talking about different situation with covid19 around the world and wrestling and it happened the week after elimination chamber and so weird to listen back to that one and see how things unfolded going back and thinking about even my own thoughts of it like oh yeah it's not going to be a big deal it'll never get to us but boy were we wrong Yes, sadly. And another shout out to the Up Next guys, Braden Harrington and Davey Portman, who've had me on a couple of times. They let me talk for 45 minutes about Doctor Who, which is sort of a big fandom of mine. And then I was on there a few weeks ago when they did a live YouTube for the Shaun of the Dead, the zombie movie. Oh, that's one of my favourite movies of all time too. <laughs> I, I need to get back and um, have a listen to that one for sure. And last of all, we'd like to thank Greg Unchained the Australian Wrestling Community Facebook group for allowing us to share our episodes on there with the wider Australian fan base. 
Yeah, it's good to have uh, a bit of an Australian wrestling community sort of brotherhood, sisterhood, neighborhood going on where we're all sort of got each other's back and sort of really support another, which is awesome. Especially in this time with modern technology, even though most of us are at home, you can reach out to people and stay connected, which is good. We're, we're not silly. We know that there isn't exactly a shortage of wrestling podcasts, so we're really excited and privileged to have anyone that has listened so we owe a lot of thanks to our listeners as well yeah absolutely without the feedback that we got for episode one i don't think we we would have done another one so, yeah and yeah. we got shazza mckenzie following us on twitter now so Shout out to shazza. <laughs> yeah so that's awesome like the queen of aussie wrestling she's our charlotte flair <laughs> we'll get there later <laughs> today as you can probably guess from the uh, title, we'll be talking about WrestleMania 36 and the Raw after Mania. Did you know, Chris, yes. that WrestleMania this year was too big for one night? I don't know if you heard it. but No, but similarly, <laughs> this show is so nice, we recorded it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, do you just want to jump straight into WrestleMania night one? Quickly, like, what was your viewing situation for WrestleMania? Like... <sighs> Oh, yes. Um, Like most years, people throw a bit of a party. I know I usually have about six or seven blokes come around. We all get the day off work and we get on the booze and we tear it up and we're all incredibly drunk by about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, which is always a bit of a trip out. But this year, the extenuating circumstances sort of meant a lot of people had to get a bit creative with their viewing parties. Yeah, so I I watch both of these sort of on my own just because my friend who I normally watch WrestleMania with will either watch it here or at their place. Like if we watch it there and they pay for the network, I'll get pizza and beer or vice versa. But yeah, I watched night one live and then I had to work Monday morning. So I actually watched night two on delay. Very good. Um, what about yourself? Yeah, like, like I said, I usually have a fair few people come around. We have, we have a bit of a booze session. Uh, this time around, it was same sort of people, except we're doing it over our computers and iPads over Zoom. And I was wearing my signature WrestleMania Zubaz pants that I bought and night one one, I was wearing a Undertaker shirt. Night two, I was wearing an NWO shirt, not knowing the reference that would happen later on. So that was kind of cool. Can I ask Hollywood or Wolfpack? Uh, original, mate. Hollywood. I am looking to purchase a Wolfpack shirt soon, though. Fair enough. So you watched live both nights as well? Yes, I watched live both nights, although I did miss the pre-shows both nights. Because, you know, you 9 o'clock... <laughs> Nine o'clock in the morning is early enough for me. If I don't have to go to work, I'm not getting up earlier than nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get through this. I, I want to get to the juicy bits again. So just briefly, the kickoff show was... Corey and Rosenberg in studio. They crossed to backstage panel of Renee Young, Booker T and Mark Henry. This was pointless. Cesaro and Gulak had a good match. Cesaro winning with the UFO. Uh, yeah. Anything to add on that? Oh, it's just awesome to see the UFO for the first time in WWE. He's used it there before. No, he's never used it in the WWE before. So we'll move on to the pay-per-view portion. Both nights started with a Steph McMahon address just saying about the extenuating circumstances 
dancers in the world. Then they have this video package. It's sort of parts of the Caribbean style, then crosses to a bunch of comedy green screen shots with an English voiceover for some reason. Yeah, I, I think it this was, was terrible be... up until this point. Yeah, I think they were trying to do some weird like Jack Sparrow breaking the fourth wall thing, and I didn't get it, but whatever. And then we moved on to the best part of the opening package. ACDCs for those about to rock. We salute you. Well, it's always good to kick off a WrestleMania with some Aussie royalty. Yes, absolutely. I think there probably won't be an Aussie wrestling fan who didn't crank this up like rage after a Friday bender at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone in my Zoom party pop pretty hard for some Macadaka. So then they show Rob Gronkowski and Mojo up in the NXT perch and they're the hosts of WrestleMania. Raw commentary is done by Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton. The SmackDown, it's Michael Cole and the future Hall of Famer, JBL. I love it, Muggle! Any thoughts on the hosts or the commentary team overall? JBL's always cringeworthy, but I sort of love it. Gronk is what Gronk is. Like, he's I'm, a Gronk? Exactly, he's a Gronk. Look that up, ladies and gentlemen. Urban Dictionary. Very much so. So we'll move on to the first match. It's the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. Kabuki Warriors are your champions going in. That's Oscar and Curry Sane versus Bliss Cross. That's Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross. Do you have much to add on this match? No. But I was a bit shocked that this is the match that kicks off two nights of WrestleMania's main cards. Although I am a huge fan of Alexa Bliss and actually really love what Asuka's been doing lately. Yeah, at least Asuka, unlike some of the people in the matches, is making noise, which is helping the atmosphere. I noticed also as Kari made her entrance, she looked upset. And a few of the modern wrestlers, when they look upset, you know they're going to lose a title. Sasha Sa- Banks. Sasha is also one who does it quite often on a pay-per-view. Sasha um, is the biggest perpetrator of the uh, I'm about to lose boo-boo face. One of the highlights of this match would have to be Nikki Cross's Hulk up spot. <laughs> yeah, she- She's fantastic too. I forgot to mention her, but Nikki Cross is fantastic at what she does. So going into the closing sequence, Nikki hits a spinning neck breaker and then a twisted bliss off the top rope from Alexa Bliss to pin Kari Sane and become new champions. So this was the first champion defense since TLC in December from the Kabuki Warriors. It's only their fifth championship defense since October when they defeated Bliss Cross for the titles, who defeated the Iconics in August. Where do you see the titles going next because as we saw throughout night two there may be a few of the main roster teams who aren't together anymore. So I see them just doing a complete chucking the car into reverse back up the driveway of the tag team title lineage as gone from the Iconics to Bliss Cross to the Kabukis back to Bliss Cross and I think it's going to go back to the Iconics again. Yeah we haven't seen them on TV for quite some time. I know with the Australian bushfires, they were quite active on social media trying to raise funds. We'll talk about that more in our January show. So they may have had time off for that, and that's why we haven't seen them on TV. I but know Hayden's um, been spending a lot of time at Sean Spears, her husband, at Tyler Breeze's wrestling school. So I know that Peyton has been in America for a lot of this time. Yeah, and there's also rumours about them being uh, repackaged as new characters, which I think could either ultimately succeed for those ladies or it could be a complete downfall. 
if they can somehow like find like a happy medium between their current char- characters and a little bit more aggression and a little bit more ferociousness in the ring to make them seem a bit more credible because their characters at the moment as they stand like shouldn't even be credible threats at all yes they're like yeah. the um popular high school click girls yeah that they should just be like basically their character is that they talk crap and they can't back it up but they need to have a little bit of an edge to them so they can seem a bit more credible in the ring because the tag team division needs a bit of that at the moment yeah and these titles are a year old now and for it not to be defended for the better part of four months just shows how lacking wwe are with their plans for this title yeah it's um i don't know what they're doing with it it's outrageous so we'll move on to the next match King Corbin versus Elias. Yeah, so they had that whole thing a couple of weeks ago on SmackDown where King Corbin basically kills Elias by throwing him off the William Regal I'm holier than thou bird's nest that he has there. And the whole thing is, oh, Elias isn't going to make it. He's not going to make it. And he makes it and it kind of just left it at that. Like it was just business as usual, and yeah, there there was no suspense. There was no like he did. Like he had his shoulders taped up. But he wasn't like, limping or anything. He wasn't moving slow. And he even smashes the guitar over Baron's back in the pre-match. Yeah, and it was a bit head-scratching because it seemed like it was building up. Like, I predicted that Gronk was going to end up having a match with King Corbin because Gronk was the one that set up the match in the first place. But it was sort of really anticlimactic, And it might have worked a bit better if there was an arena full of people because it's like, oh, He's actually here, wow. But I don't even think then it would have worked. Yeah, it's sort of a pre-show match at best, I'd call it. Yeah, and there's a couple of those on the main cards. So just going into the finish here, Elias wins with a schoolboy roll-up for the pin. Anything else really tad on this match? Uh, that was my pee break. I got up, got some snacks, filled my glass full of rum and coke, and yeah, I didn't really watch too much of the match or care, but what I did see bored me. Yeah, I'd have to agree. So moving on from there, we've got match number four. It's Raw Women's Champion Becky Lynch defending against Shayna Baszler. So Becky arrives in her truck again, and I'm sort of sick of seeing this clip of her arriving in the full sale or PC parking lot with this truck. Yeah, it's quite obvious they're trying to make the most of whatever amount of money they spent renting that thing, but Jesus. Like, I get that it was going to be her big, like, WrestleMania entrance reportedly. Like Rusev with his tank. Yeah, yeah. I I think it was going to be something similar to that. Like, maybe not driving it down the stage, but coming out the side or something like that. Becky... Like, she should have debuted at the WrestleMania and then maybe brought it out again, like the Raw after Mania. Not for, like, two, three weeks leading up to WrestleMania. It just got really stale. Yeah, that's what I found. The sort of, the air was let out of the balloon by this point. So this is one of the first matches where they used sort of the NXT TakeOver Championship lighting for the pre-match introductions of the championship. They do this for most of the championship matches. It's something simple that just sort of adds more to the presentation. Do you have anything to add to the match here? 
Yeah, I do like that, actually. It gives it a bit of a big match feel. Yeah, um, I agree. I was really excited about this match. And it happened. And it felt like it struggled to get out of second gear. Yeah, I'd have to agree. At the moment where the bell rings to end the match, it sort of felt like it was just starting to build up to second, third gear, but it sort of stopped suddenly. So saying that, in the closing stages, Shayna has a Karafu to clutch on, but Becky rolls through for a pinfall victory to retain the Women's Championship. I did like the ending. I thought it showed that just Shayna was caught Caught out by the more experienced wrestler and Becky. At the time, I wasn't a fan of the result, but after a couple of days and after seeing the Raw after Mania, I sort of understand it a bit better now. And it's just wait and see sort of thing at the moment for me. Yeah, I think it'll play out. <laughs> Match number five is Sami Zayn, your intercontinental champion with Cesaro and Nakamura versus Daniel Bryan with uh, Drew Gulak. So as Bryan and Gulak are entering the arena, Gronk and Mojo are doing their yes chant up in the person. I thought that added. The last couple of weeks on SmackDown, Drew and Daniel have been doing the yes chants going down the ramp and it always felt a bit weird without anyone else doing it. So whatever they can do to add to it, I'm fine with. And having the seconds, the three men on the outside during the match made a lot more noise they're chanting or shouting instructions so it did add a lot to the presentation of the match. Kind of had a bit of a feel of like the ultimate fighter like fights in the UFC training gym or whatever and all you've got no commentators and all you can hear is the coaches and the corner men just yelling instructions and Drew Gulak was fantastic at that at points in this match. I really enjoyed this match. Oh absolutely so um Sammy spends a lot of the match running away, hiding behind Cesaro and Nakamura to frustrate Brian, but Gulak eventually has enough and throws Nakamura and Cesaro over the guardrail to the outside. As Zane tries to leave, Brian grabs him on the ramp and throws him back in. They start having a good technical match, and ultimately Brian goes for a top rope dive but gets caught by a halufa kick and loses to Sami Zayn. I have no issues with the result of this match. I felt like this match was extremely hard hitting and really lent itself well to the no audience environment. But you look, um, all, you look all five where all of the... these guys are fantastic in that sort of environment. It, it shows where they've come from as well that they can still perform to that level with no one there as well. Yeah, and like I said, like I've seen a little bit of the pre-show match with Cesaro and Gulak as well. Those guys are fantastic at it too. These guys have that more sports-like presentation, so it's not entirely on like playing off of a crowd. So their intensity and their hard hitting really lends itself well to a quiet arena where you can really hear each chop and each strike. It was fantastic. Definitely one I'd recommend to go and check if you haven't seen it already. From there, we'll move on to match number six. It's the triple threat singles ladder match for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. So it's John Morrison, the champion, Miz and Morrison, versus Jimmy Uso, representing the Usos, and Kofi Kingston, representing the New Day. So... One of the problems I had with this is this change was only confirmed on WWE programming during the pre-show on night one. Yes, and it was, what, recorded a week or two weeks prior to the airing? Yeah, around a week and a half, two weeks, I believe. Yeah, that's just not 
that's not on. That's not good enough. Yeah, when it's already pre-taped and you've still got a little card subject to change and you're charging people around $30 a night US reportedly, that's not good enough. <laughs> yeah, and there's more issues with that with a later match that we'll talk about too. Yes, we'll get there. Do you have much to add to this match? Because I don't have many notes here. It was just very hard-hitting and fast-paced. This is probably, besides a couple of the obvious, matches from everyone's Twitter timelines and Facebook feeds. This is one of the matches that's sort of being slept on from Mania Weekend. It is extremely worth your time checking out. These guys brought it. And John Morrison and his acrobatics, his parkour stuff was insane at certain points. Kofi's just doing Kofi things, just being amazing. And uh, Jimmy Uso really brought it with his trash talk in the ring. I found him to be quite entertaining. Which also helps during an empty arena match. You need to have a voice because there are some matches which you could hear a pin drop and it was just unbearable to watch. Yeah, and we'll get there. So do you have anything to add before I go for the closing stage? No, um, I felt all, all three of these guys were fantastic and I'm glad in a way that it was just the three of them, because I feel like as wrestling fans, we've all been burnt to death, like just watching way too many of these six, eight-man tag ladder matches. Like we've seen way too many of them. So it was good to just see just three blokes get in there and have a good crack. They weren't holding anything back, even though this was pre-taped in front of no fans. Um, So during the closing stage, there's two ladders set up side-by-side under the belts. Jimmy climbs up uh, one with Kofi beside him. Jimmy goes to unclip the belts from the cable, but him and Kofi both have a hand on one of the belts. Up climbs Morrison to also grab onto the belts. Jimmy delivers a double headbutt to Kofi and John, and as Morrison falls, he takes the titles with him, thus having possession, he retains the titles. It took me a moment or two to realise because um, the camera sort of showed him falling quickly but then cut quickly back to the ladder with Kofi and Jimmy and the gold triangle that the um, title goes through on a ladder mat was hanging out of frame at the bottom of the frame and as he's lifted it up, you can see the belt isn't on there anymore and then they cut to Morrison and he's got both the titles in his arms. I thought it was a bit... They were a bit too cute with the finish. Like, they... I get the need to try to come up with something that no one's seen before, but honestly... Keep it simple, stupid, and it sort of didn't really translate well to good television, that finish. The only other option you could have for that would be both Kofi and Jimmy on one side of the two ladders side by side, so they're on different ladders. Morrison jumps up, tips both the ladders over, climbs up and claims the titles with no one there to stop him. Yeah, that would have been fine too. But I do appreciate them trying um, something different in a ladder match that I don't think we've seen for a long time as well. Yeah, like, you always got to applaud creativity. And, you know, I think it might have been just uh, production's fault with that one because it was a bit hard to pick up what had actually happened. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. 
So we'll move on to match number seven. It's Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens. And both men don't have any of their friends ringside for this match. So this was sort of a match of two halves in a way. Pre-match, Seth comes down in a white priest-like robe. There was a lot of good gear on show at this WrestleMania. It's a shame that nobody sort of got to wear it in front of an audience. Yeah, well, you even look at guys like Kurt Hawkins posted on Instagram, like him wearing his WrestleMania gear that he had made in tribute to Jushin Liger, intending to wear it at the Battle Royal this year. And he's sitting there on his couch and he's got his little daughter made up a matching dress for his outfit. And they're just sitting on the couch in their WrestleMania gear watching WrestleMania. Yeah, I know you sent that to me before we started recording today, and it's sad to see some of these guys who like don't make as much as the top tier, but they're still spending money on a good WrestleMania outfit for that one time a year. Also, in tribute to Liger, he was supposed to be going into the Hall of Fame this year. We have no idea what's happening there officially, whether it's postponed or if it's all being moved to next year's class or if it's somewhere like SummerSlam. There's no official word yet, so that's also a bit disappointing. But if you just want to tweet that photo out for our listeners who mightn't have seen it yet, and they'll be able to um, see it on your Twitter, which is... At FruityIsAlex. I might even tweet it from our Twitter account at WrestleOzStyle. Just back to the Hall of Fame thing, like, I would... I kind of love the idea of them just doing the Skype of fame and, like... Like, just seeing, like, Jushin Thunder Liger in his mask, like, like webcamming his induction speech in a mask and a tuxedo. I would love it. Well, it wouldn't be the weirdest thing, considering that he wears the mask when he does commentary on New Japan World. Yeah, at least he takes the wig off for that one. <laughs> That's true, I guess. That's his formal mask. Jeez, you could do a whole show just on Liger masks. <laughs> one day, one day. So... Back to Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins, a match of two halves. The first half, they're sort of brawling in the raw. They fall to the outside. They go near the timekeeper's area. Seth picks up the ring bell and hits Owens with it. The ref calls for a DQ after 10 minutes. I felt this part took way too long to get to. At certain points, I was like, they're filling time for something. They've got something else planned. And it just feels like at the moment, we're just sort of filling in time. And it all sort of makes sense considering what's to come in this match. Seth goes to leave up the ramp, but Owens grabs a mic, says he wants the match restart as a no-DQ match. Seth comes back and says, when are you going to learn? DQ match, they start brawling in the ring, spills to the outside again near the timekeeper's area, but this time Owen hits Seth with the ring bell, lays him out on the announcer's table, and we see him walking sort of behind the timekeeper's area, and we're not really sure where he's going. And then all of a sudden, we see him on top of the big WrestleMania sign that everyone points to. It's positioned up behind the commentator's desk, and as he's up there, he does this little run up and jumps off to put Seth through the announce table with a diving elbow. Yeah, it was awesome. Such a great visual. Like, this match is a match of, like, maybe two visuals. The DQ and 
the finish of this match, which is the big elbow before the stunner that you'll get to. But that Owens dive was fantastic. That's a WrestleMania moment if I've ever seen one. That's the sort of thing that'll be on Kevin Owens' highlight reels and t-shirts for years. Yeah, you know when they do those limited photo prints with a little square of canvas for WrestleMania week, they're going to use one of those photos for Kevin Owens, whether they get him to sign it or not. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so he rolls Seth back in the ring, hits the stunner, and claims a pinfall victory after about five minutes. Overall, I thought this was a pretty good match. It was fantastic. I loved the second half of this match. Absolutely. I think it's a tale of two halves where the first half sort of left you a bit deflated, but it needed to leave you deflated going into that second part to make you appreciate it all the more. Yeah, the first part, like, in hindsight, is wonderfully done. So from there, we'll move on to match number eight, I guess you could call it. It's R-Truth trying to hide out from the locker room as he's now 24-7 champion. R-Truth asks Mojo and Gronk if he can hide up there with them in the perch. But Gronk elbows R-Truth in the stomach and goes for a pin, but only gets a two count before Mojo pulls him off and gets a three count to become the new 24-7 champion. And as Mojo celebrates and runs off, Gronk looks angry at his former friend. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything really to add to this? Um, I have a few things to say about the 24-7 division being a division where people can just lay a weak-looking elbow to the stomach and someone will be down for about two minutes. It's sort it, of lower card purgatory. It's not even like a IC where you get stuck there. It's like a mid-card purgatory. It's below that at, at times. It's... Absolutely ridiculous. It's more just a bathroom break comedy sketch title match. The way it was introduced with uh, Mick Foley on, on Raw with the TNA reverse battle royal to claim the title, it was never going to be anything more than a joke to a lot of people as soon as that happened. The division is what it is. Uh, it gives a few people opportunities to do things that they wouldn't normally get the opportunity, but as audience members, we don't care. <laughs> no, there's already enough titles in WWE that it's hard to care about all of them. Speaking of titles, in WWE we move on to match number nine it is the Universal Championship it's your champion Bill Goldberg versus the replacement Braun Strowman this was announced an hour before Smackdown went off the air in a 15 second graphic yeah they didn't even like explain why Roman's not there or even mention Roman they're just like yeah Goldberg defending the title against Braun yep that's what it always was don't worry about it go to Go to bed. Who cares? <laughs> it's such good S, as Vince would say. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I like the choice of replacement. I'll give him that. It's someone who can have as much explosive power as Goldberg, so it is a good replacement in that aspect. And speaking of Goldberg, did you enjoy his PC entrance? I was actually weirdly looking forward to this, just to see what they would do. They did a good enough job, I reckon. As much as I'm not a large fan of Goldberg, I have to appreciate the man's entrance. At least this time he didn't headbutt any doors or lockers on his way out. <laughs> or throw his hand through glass, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so I can do a rundown of the match if you want. Yeah, go for it. Okay. It's going to be hard for you to remember all the moves that happened in this match. There's a stare down, spear, second spear, 
Third spear, two counts. Sasuke special, shooting star press, <laughs> 450 <only>. splash, <laughs> 630, kick out, fish out of water spot, tackle, drop down, leak frog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. Uh, so, stare down, three spears, two counts. Spear, jackhammer reversed into power slam. Second power slam. Third power slam. Running fourth power slam. Hooks the leg. Free count for Braun, new Universal Champion. Yeah, so the first thing I thought of when it was announced to be Braun was, man, Goldberg could not jackhammer the Fiend. What is he going to do with Braun? Well, they answered that. The only other move he could possibly do. The spear. And just that over and over again. I think it's good in a sense now that he has a move that is so protected, but at the same time, his age has slitted him. I am a big-time WCW fan. I was 100% a Goldberg guy as a kid, but this run, it, it depresses me a little bit. That's no good. Yeah, it's just not good seeing your hero just sort of be a 50-year-old man, you know? And this match is as good as it could have possibly have been, to be honest. It's all they could actually do. You couldn't have had him out there for 10 minutes or whatever it was like they had in Saudi Arabia with um, Undertaker and he got concussed. Yeah, through no fault of his own either, might I add. Like, he got concussed. Oh, Goldberg's. Uh, Well, Goldberg got concussed. So, (laughs) Taker dropped him on his head at one point. Fair enough. (laughs) I was more saying he ran himself into the post. Yeah, that too. Okay, well, we'll we'll agree it's both their fault. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let's move on because Saudi Arabia show is gross. (laughs) Yeah, I have so much Super Showdown merch that I don't wear anymore. Yeah, they had to use that name, didn't they? Jeez. For those who don't know, me and Alex went to the Super Showdown show at the MCG in 2018 in Australia. And then the next year they said, oh, we're bringing back Super Showdown. Oh, awesome. Where's it going to be? Saudi Arabia. Yeah. It'd be like if they came to Australia in 1997 for a pay-per-view called Over the Edge. And then 1999 happens. Ooh. Um, anyway, <laughs> speaking of people at Saudi Arabia, we move on to a match that was built from Saudi Arabia. It's the Boneyard match, your night one main event, The Undertaker versus AJ Styles. What were your expectations given we weren't really told what this match was going in? I had no idea, but the promos leading up to this were so fantastic. Uh, the evolution of the Taker character in the build-up to this, where he's become more man than zombie. And it's just been perfect, because you can't have him being the same old dead man when you got AJ there talking about his wife and, and his wife being a gold digger, and you can't just have him go... I'm going to send you to the deepest depths of hell. Like, no, you have to be real. Yeah, if you're going to bring that realistic element into it, you still have to play with that. You can't just pretend, oh, no, that didn't happen. Yeah, and because that side of him got brought out, it really opened up this match to be a lot more entertaining than if The Undertaker was just his stoic dead man self. Because I would say a lot of this match that you're going to talk about 
is carried by the Undertaker trash talking and like talking to AJ in a way that he wouldn't normally have if it was still just the generic dead man. Oh, absolutely. So if you want, we can start with the match. Yeah, 100%. Go for it. I love this, so go for it. We see an old wooded cemetery, or as WWE calls it, a boneyard, and hear an organ playing as a hearse pulls in. A coffin is pulled out of the back of the hearse by two druids, and as it opens, it (laughs) reveals AJ Styles trying to anger the Undertaker. I love this. AJ Smirk, his laugh, his his crap-stirring grin. Oh, it was just perfect. So at this point, I should probably mention that my girlfriend, Eliza, I made her watch this match and another match from night two, which you can all probably guess what match we're talking about here. And my Mrs. Eliza, she has a very limited knowledge about wrestling. Like the last time she properly watched a wrestling show was when we went to Super Showdown in like... Yeah, a year and a half ago. (laughs) So I've sat her down to watch this, and at this point she's like, is this wrestling? What? What is going on here? So how many matches of Undertaker or AJ Styles has she seen before? Well, she was familiar with both of them because they were both on the Super Showdown card that we were at. But she doesn't normally watch, like, Raw or SmackDown or anything with you? No, not at all. In fact, she generally tends to be out of the house whenever I am watching wrestling. Not that she hates it, it's just like, she knows I get too worked up about it sometimes. Mm, like, <laughs> that's your t- your time and she'll go and do something for herself. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. So yeah, as AJ pops out of the coffin, he then goes, can you hear him? And we sort of hear this rock music and hear this motorbike just tearing through the countryside. And it's like the American badass taker on this motorbike. This was perfect. You got the rocking tunes of Metallica, Now That We're Dead, which lyrically is the perfect song for The Undertaker. And you got these beautiful drone shots flying above Taker as he's just absolutely giving it to his motorbike, just flogging it down the road. It was absolutely ridiculous and awesome. I loved it. So we've got a date. Like, there's no bell for this match. There's no referee there. Just AJ and Undertaker. And they start brawling near the hearse. And AJ gets thrown into the coffin. And then Undertaker... Undertaker does one of the things that made me laugh out loud. He puts his arm through the hearse window, just like Goldberg on Nitro. And he just goes, look what you made me do, boy. Before all this happens, I just want to talk about how awesome it was when Taker gets off his bike and the camera zooms, like, pans up from from Undertaker's feet all the way up to his face as the chorus of Metallica plays. I, I absolutely loved it. It was cheesy, but it was also kind of badass i loved it oh it's just so (laughs) different yet good at the same time like at this point i'm thinking like three years ago would you have ever have thought that a match would be main eventing wrestlemania that was inspired by like 2015 matt hardy like 2017 matt hardy in total deletion yeah like this whole match was like 100 percent like something that would have come out of 
the brain of a Matt Hardy. And the main event of WrestleMania has been inspired by TNA somehow. Funny you should mention that. There were reports saying um, Borash was involved with the filming or producing of this match. Yeah, and it shows because it definitely had that final deletion like feel to it, like cinematically. Oh, absolutely. So after Undertaker puts his arm through the hearse window, AJ is dropped onto the windscreen, which cracks. They yeah, and at this point, we start seeing a bit of blood, which sort of made me a little bit uncomfortable due to the extenuating circumstances, as I'll keep jokingly say. Yeah, Taker's cut on his arm, AJ's bleeding on his shoulder blades due to the exposed nature of his shirt. Yeah, because he's only wearing like a, um, a singlet. Yeah, he's got his best soccer dad jeans on to go with his soccer mum haircut. Someone put out on Twitter, I think it might have even been like Ziggler or someone said, he's gone from having his soccer mum haircut to his dad got kicked out of the soccer game for starting to fight jeans on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. But AJ, um, yeah, he's busted open on his shoulder blade. Taker's bleeding from the arm. At this point, I'm just like, Whatever this is going to turn into, I'm I'm all in on this. This is fantastic. This is the best possible use for The Undertaker at this point in time. I'm all in. There's spooky, like, background music playing throughout this whole thing. That's the thing. They really just played up to, like, this mini-movie aspect, which improved the overall match, I feel. So they continue to brawl around the boneyard. AJ kicks Undertaker low and he starts to wobble in front of a grave. Up to this point, what was your partner thinking of this? She's like, so at this point, I forgot to explain to her that the match ends when someone is buried alive. So she's like, are you actually... Is the whole point of this match to actually kill the other person? I'm like, essentially, yes. (laughs) And she's just blown away by like the cinematic experience of this and she's like if wrestling was this all the time i would be the biggest wrestling fan in the household and i was like well (laughs) tomorrow night we might have something to show you (laughs) (laughs) yes indeed undertaker then throws aj into a grave but all of a sudden the oc shows up at this point the music goes to like classic cheesy 80s like action movie like things that are about to pick up like slow wailing guitar they're like hey dead man you ain't done yet but it was just amazing i was just losing it at the soundtrack at this point too i know and as they say that the barn lights up and the side of the barn falls down and there's a bunch of druids inside the barn to help the oc and did you see this tweet on the weekend from a certain someone in aew so at this point i'm talking on my zoom with all my mates and i say oh That must be Dark Order 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. And then I see this tweet from Evil Uno. Oh, my God. All he tweets is, no, that wasn't us. (laughs) It was fantastic. Oh, so good. So these druids come out, and they all circle the Undertaker. And at this point, 
just before this, actually, the Undertaker se- says to AJ, you want more? I got a lot of more. Okay. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I got a lot of more. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Trash talking's a bit off there, dead man. But then at this point, he's circled by the druids and he just goes, you want to do this? Let's do it then. Come on. <laughs> and they all just circle around him he just lays into all of them before he can get the upper hand and his beat them all uh gallows and anderson come in and lay the beat down on undertaker he goes to get a shovel and starts attacking gallows and anderson but as he's doing that aj comes up behind him with a tombstone breaks it over his head yeah, not a pile driver. An actual cement block. Absolutely ridiculous. But did you notice the shovel? Like, what was up with that? Like, it didn't have a proper shovel head. But it, it had, looked... like, a little trowel bit on the end of it. It was like yeah, a it was tiny like a little, shovel. It was like a little garden hoe or something. But the way he lifted up the quote-unquote shovel before he's trying to hit um, Gallows with it before he gets hit with the tombstone by AJ. It looks like he's gonna literally impale Gallows with this stick. (laughs) He makes it look like he's about to just stab Gallows right through his entire chest with this thing. It'd be easier than trying to impale someone with a giant square mallet. (laughs) Oh, God. AJ takes Undertaker over to the grave and throws him in. He gets in the tractor and he's going to tip the tractor load of dirt on top of him. But as he starts up the tractor, a bunch of like angelic light lights up behind AJ and over his shoulder pops up the Undertaker. So at this point, Eliza and I, we are massive horror movie fans. Like almost every night we watch a horror movie and at this point eliza just goes oh i know what's gonna happen here this is what happens in every horror movie he's gonna try to bury him but then he's gonna turn around and he's there and lo and behold that's exactly what happened i i didn't think it would happen because i was like oh no it's a little bit too out there no they did it i loved it well i'll go all the way if you're doing it it was awesome It was so good. Um, AJ's startled by The Undertaker and starts running back towards the barn. And as he does, he climbs up this ladder and The Undertaker summons fire to stop him in his tracks. Yeah, he did it like old school Ministry of Darkness Undertaker style, like raising his hands. I loved it. At this point, like, Eliza's going back to horror movie tropes and she's like, Don't climb the ladder! What are you doing? Everyone knows in a horror movie, do not climb! So Undertaker climbs up on top of the roof and starts brawling with the OC, who are back up there now. He throws Gallows off the barn roof and gives Anderson a tombstone while AJ gets choke slammed off the roof through this wooden floor deck below it. This was awesome. Like, AJ's begging for his life. Like, don't do it. Oh, no, boy. You started this. Of course I've got to do this. You you asked for it, boy. And he just lifts him up and they do multiple camera angles, like sort of rewinding and like showing this happen, like the big lift over and over again. It was awesome. Like the production quality on this was insanely good. The Undertaker climbs back down the barn, collects AJ. who's Yeah, and at this point, like AJ's like begging him, like, don't bury me, don't bury me. And Taker's just like, 
gave me a hell of a fight, kid. I ain't gonna bury you. I ain't gonna bury you. And he gives him a big hug and like strokes AJ's hair, like lovingly, like caressingly, like strokes AJ's hair. I loved this. And then he sort of turns to walk away for some reason. Yeah, it was just going to leave it at that. You gave me a hell of a fight. That'll do. I'm not going to bury you. And then he delivers, is it a big boot? It might have been a halluva kick, according to <laughs> other matches, because, well, if Sabi Zayn did it, it's, it's a modified version of the halluva kick. Oh, goodness. And drops AJ into the grave, goes to the tractor, dumps a load of dirt on him, and walks back over to the grave, taking moss off of the front of the tombstone, and it reads AJ Styles. And then they just pan back over the grave, and there's a hand sticking out with an AJ Styles glove. And at this point, I was like, yes, of course they had to do that. Eliza's losing her mind with laughter. I'm losing my mind with just, like, my jaws dropped from, like, what I'm seeing. I'm thinking I'm having some weird fever dream going on right now. <laughs> Like, this isn't real. Like, this isn't the main event of WrestleMania. What is happening with my life right now? This is so weird and amazing. The corniness of just AJ's glove up in the air. It was perfect. And then Undertaker sort of walks back over to where his bike is and he does the Undertaker hand gesture and there's this sort of laser light show with the classic Ministry of Darkness Taker logo lit up in purple on the side of the barn. And then he drives off to the dulcet tones of James Hetfield and friends and Metallica's blaring as we cut away for the end of night one. What a finish to this. The the laser Undertaker logo on top of the barn. Oh my God, I loved everything about this. Print that we haven't seen before and with this Undertaker, I really enjoyed this. I I've said a number of times before I haven't enjoyed any Undertaker matches really for a number of years, but this one I really enjoyed. Yeah, this was awesome. This was everything it needed to be and a little bit more. And, Um, like, full credit to AJ as well. He was bumping around like a madman for The Undertaker here. Like, this is a a pre-taped, like, a reportedly eight-hour shoot, and his... He's given it to The Undertaker, and he is taking it, and he is he is absolutely running with this, putting in 100%. He's just, doesn't matter what, what situation AJ Styles is put in, he is going to put on a main event caliber match, no matter what the situation. And that concludes uh, Night 1 of WrestleMania. So just a quick question, Alex. Would you like to see Sting in a Boneyard match? A hundred percent. Like I've said a couple of times in this show, I'm a I'm a WCW boy through and through. I would kill to see Sting in this environment. But there is another environment that I think would be even more perfect if Sting somehow was allowed to come back. And 
Well, I don't want to spoil too much about what happens on night two, but Sting is the sort of person that's had multiple incarnations that would work perfectly in the Firefly Funhouse. That's a really good point. I didn't even think of that, but we'll get there shortly. So night one overall, thumbs up or thumbs down? Two thumbs up and two big toes up and whatever I can give. Yeah, like, I'd this have was to. was fantastic. Like, I'd have to agree. It knocked it out of the park, especially the, the main event. The main event. The ladder match. The IC title match, the ladder match. Like, you know, Becky and Shayna didn't really get out of second gear for me, but it wasn't bad. Um, Braun and Goldberg. Yeah, Owens and Seth was great. Like, I, I think it told a story, and you got your big WrestleMania spot out of that, which is awesome. Um, I have absolutely no qualms about this night. And like everyone else that had just watched this, all I could think about was how awesome that main event was. I was just jaw-dropped from that. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. Absolutely. From there, we'll move on to night two. The only difference was on the kickoff, the backstage panel was Renee Young, Booker T and Christian talking about the Edge Orton match this time. Pre-show match was Liv Morgan defeating Natalia after exchanging schoolgirl roll-ups. Yeah, I didn't see this match, but I'm not much of a Natalia fan, to be honest. I don't want to come across and sound like an absolute negative hater, but Natalia's stuff sometimes comes across a bit cringy and just not my cup of tea. And Liv Morgan, though, obviously it's not hard for a red-blooded male to watch a Liv Morgan match. But, yeah, I think she's got a lot of potential. I don't think she's quite there yet, but give her time, I think. Yeah, wait and see where this new incarnation is going after a couple of stop-starts. Yeah, and none of that was any of her fault or even creative's fault like this whole situation sort of these extenuating circumstances sort of meant that they had to put the brakes on the whole riot squad implosion angle that they were doing and yeah okay so from there we move on to match number 12 of wrestlemania it's your first match on the pay-per-view for night two it is rhea ripley your nxt Women's champion versus Charlotte Flair. And not only NXT champion, the champion of all of Australia and all of its citizens. <laughs> Absolutely. Our hero, our goddess, Rhea Ripley. This is the third year that we've had a Aussie on the WrestleMania card, be it the pre-show or the pay-per-view portion, so... It's really good to see that we're starting to get a bit of representation there on a more regular basis. Not only that, the third consecutive Australian championship match at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. Buddy and someone had a cruiserweight title match, which Buddy lost. Buddy and and Tony last year and the Iconics in the women's match last year. Yeah, so this was the third... Can I just say, Rhea's gear, it's over (laughs) 9,000! It was awesome. Yeah, I loved Very it. Very uh, Vegeta, Dragon Ball Z inspired, which Dragon Ball Z I'm sort of a huge fan of. And she's also worn this before in um, Wright City Wrestling, her home promotion in Australia. And the best part about this is, like, I don't want to sound like Jim Cornette and start banging on about cosplay wrestlers here, but 
some wrestlers like to come out and do full cosplay. Rhea Ripley did the correct thing of taking her normal gear and just applying the colours of what she was inspired from to her gear instead of, you know, coming out like the New Day did, although it worked for the New Day because they're a bunch of goofballs. She wasn't like Ricochet coming out in a gimp bodysuit for SummerSlam or whatever it was. Like, this was perfect. So this match is sort of pretty hard-hitting to start with. Rhea goes for the Riptide early, and Charlotte kicks out at two. This would have to be the first time in either NXT US or the main roster that someone's kicked out of the Riptide. The last time probably was on NXT UK, while Rhea was champion defending it. Yeah, um, at first, first viewing, I absolutely hated this. But, but it makes sense. Like, this is Charlotte Flair. This is the Hulk Hogan of the women's division, the John Cena of the women's division. She is she is the queen for a reason. Like, you can't, you can't shoot your shot too early with Charlotte Flair. It's not going to put her away. It all makes sense. Although, in the moment, I was like, oh, way to bury... Ray is finisher, but the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Like she like, was being too arrogant early on, trying to end it early. Yeah, and then from there the match goes on. Charlotte starts working over the knee of uh, Rhea, including when she goes for a, a kick to Charlotte on, over the top rope, gets caught into a twisting corkscrew. Uh, not corkscrew. Was it dragon? Dragon screw. Dragon screw. screw sorry. Goes on, back inside the ring. Charlotte eventually gets the figure four on and then the figure eight to win the NXT Women's Championship after 20 minutes. All right, so me and all the boys are on Zoom again for night two. And, oh, man, the look on our faces when Rhea lost, we were just devastated. But then, like, the wheels start turning and it's like, hmm, if Charlotte loses then, what feuds does she have left that would be fresh and exciting on the main roster? Do you have an answer, Hoggy? Not really. Plus, unless she's going to find someone to tag with and challenge for the tag titles. But also, I think this was also done to help NXT's ratings on uh, Wednesday nights in the US against AEW. Yeah, and that's kind of my point as well. Like, this is the perfect way to freshen up Charlotte Flair. And just because she's won this one match doesn't mean that the rivalry is completely over or that Rhea's lost the feud. Like, maybe it might not be any time soon due to circumstances that we might have to talk about shortly. But, like, maybe, like, a year down the track, they do a big built-up rematch because this was a fantastic storytelling match. Working a body part, picking on that leg, going back to it over and over again. And ultimately, it was big match experience that overcome our fresh face eagerness. At WrestleMania again. (laughs) Charlotte's going to bring that title to NXT, and we could see potentially, like, Charlotte Flair versus Dakota Kai or Tony Storm. Like, those matches sound amazing. Like, there's so many amazing... 
options with this. Like, yeah, like Charlotte getting involved with like a Candice LeRae or Mia Yim or, you know, even some of the NXT UK girls like Ginny or like Piper Nevin and all that sort of stuff. It'd be amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Charlotte's now a 12-time women's champion within WWE, five times SmackDown, four times Raw, two times NXT and one times Divas. Uh, in terms of Rick Flair, she's only or- that put her. Four away. Four away. <laughs> yeah, she's wow. four away from equaling it, and she's five away from beating it. Absolutely insane. And whilst they do say that a female wrestler's career span is uh, a bit shorter than the males, she's still going to have, she's still going to beat this record and have plenty of time to maybe even break Rick's actual reported title reign number of like 22 or something. Yeah, I've seen most sites when they try to count it's around 20 to 22 so from there we'll move on to match number 13 it's alistair black versus bobby lashley with his wife lana do you have anything to say about this match um i went to the toilet i washed my hands i grabbed a snack i had a drink i did everything but watch this match to be honest And it's not from any lack of interest because I'm actually a big fan of Alistair Black. I just didn't, I just don't care about Bobby Lashley anymore, unfortunately. All I've got written here is this match was bad. It was so quiet at times you could hear a pin drop. The only time Lana made noise was towards the end where she distracted Bobby and he walked into a black mass to lose. Yeah, it was what it was. Well, let's move on to something I think we can both agree was enjoyable. It's Otis versus Dolph Ziggler, but Dolph comes out with Sonya Deville after what happened on SmackDown. Yeah, the hacker revealed all the information and... We got the big Sonya turn on Mandy, all that sort of stuff. Um, This match I was so excited for. And I just saw a fact the other day, Paul Ziggler's first ever singles match at WrestleMania. I know, and he's been with the company for what, like over 10 years probably at this stage? Like, the golf caddy was in 05, so we're talking 15 years. Are we talking Kerwin White? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, he was Kerwin White's caddy in 05, so... Uh, Oh, that's, yeah, 15 years, wow. Yeah. Was Spirit Squad before or after that? That was after. Okay, so, wow, that's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, and Um, honestly... uh, this was a well-deserved singles match. I feel like if this was an actual proper WrestleMania, this might not have happened, and it's a bit of a travesty, but this might have been reserved to just a spot in the Battle Royal. Yeah, I feel it might have been a spot in the Battle Royal where Ziggler threw Otis out, and then he gets his um, one-on-one uh, pay-per-view match the following month. Yeah, and th- that honestly would have been a travesty. They, this storyline deserved a bit of a happy ending at WrestleMania. So Ziggler's sort of trying to be the faster of the two, trying to avoid a bit of um, Otis's offense. He eventually hits Otis low, and then Mandy <laughs> makes a run-in with her full music and, like, 
entrance lights and everything. I just love it. They're just having their wrestling match and you just hear, Mandy. <laughs> I just loved it. <laughs> and at this point, I'm just... I'm just all in on this match as well. It's fantastic. So she goes down the entrance ramp. She attacks Sonya to leave her on the floor. As the ref's going over to check on that, she slides into the ring and kicks Dolph low. <laughs> she punched him low. And um, she really laid it in there. <laughs> it, it looks like it got deep in there. I don't, I don't think Dolph can expect to celebrate Father's Day anytime soon. As Dolph is down, Otis gets in position and hits a caterpillar for the 1-2-3. And as he wins, Mandy climbs back in the ring. They hug, they celebrate, she jumps into his arms and they share a kiss. This was great. It was perfect. It was perfect. All that I was missing and I really wanted to say it was... was... Otis lift Mandy up, put her on his shoulder and do the march show and Liz and twirl the finger in there. That's what I wanted. I needed it. It's match number 15 of your two-night WrestleMania. Edge versus Randy Orton in a last-man-standing match. So Edge comes out to his full song, his smoke, does his full entrance down the ramp and starts playing in the ring for Randy. And as Randy's song's playing, he's staring up at the stage, but all of a sudden... Randy hits an RKO out of nowhere. On the replay, we see that it's been Randy as the cameraman in front of the commentary desk while Edge made his entrance. Yeah, this was great. Um, a few friends of mine were saying, like, oh, imagine if Randy was just... He was just that cameraman for the entire night one and night two. Like, he's just been filming this whole time, just waiting to pick his spot. But this was... A method actor. Yeah, yeah, like he was out there in the yard and the funhouse even, you know. <laughs> we just didn't know. Yeah, it was just filming the whole time. Well, I guess they are short on numbers, so they need all the help they can get. Exactly. So they Edge gets to his feet, they ring the bell to start the match, they brawl out to the outside, Randy takes a page out of Chris Jericho's playbook and hits him with the TV camera. Yeah, this was awesome because they then... Like cut to a cut to that actual camera to see like Orton and Edge like crawling along the ground. Yeah, it looked uh, awesome. I brought backstage to a gym area. They're using the different equipment as weapons. Um, they're then brawling through other parts of the PC. They go into a conference room where there's a big steel table. Randy's lying down the table. There's like this weird cage thing up next to where the lights hang. Yeah, Edge what's up with that? Like, I guess it's supposed of... to be industrialist and edgy or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I thought that was some poor like interior decorating. It looked oh, like they went and got the cage off a tennis court and just hung it like, up. Who knows? Like, maybe it's actually like part of the first ever Hell in a Cell, and <laughs> they've just like repurposed it for decorating purposes but well that could be true because they do have a like a lot of this um photos of different wrestlemania moments around the pc when they're brawling through the corridor as well yeah as edge is hanging off this thing he delivers like a falling elbow drop onto randy on the table yeah and just before this um edge in the gym sort of jumped up on the chin-up bar and sort of swung his body 
into a seated senton in the gym onto a seated Randy Orton who was sitting on a chair, like full on nuts to face. But at this, and then Edge like starts climbing on the roof like Spider Man for this spot, like <laughs> along that maybe Hell in a Cell relic on the roof. And I'm just like, what are you doing today, Edge? Someone, like, drink too much Red Bull or something. He's climbing all over the joint. Yeah, he was going nuts. Like. He's, like, he's like that kid who's in timeout for a week and can't do colouring in, so then he gets back to colouring next week. And he goes, that's it, I'm taking all the crayons out of the box this week. He's like me after two weeks of quarantine going back out to hopefully a pub someday. Oh, one day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be crawling along the bar. (laughs) (laughs) They continue to brawl backstage. They're knocking over a few cameramen along their way. Um, Oh, just a few. Jeez, these these cameramen deserved a mania payday from the bumps they were taking in this match. Maybe it was more wrestlers and we just didn't know it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Somehow Randy Orton was still behind the camera. (laughs) They end up out in, like, the loading bay area. Have I missed anything yet? No, no. Uh, from my memory, this is all pretty spot on. Uh, there was a spot with the ladder. Do you have the note for that? Yeah, so they're now in this sort of warehouse part of it all, and there's the, there's the shelving that they have for the pallets and all that stuff, and Edge climbs up a ladder up on top of this scaffold sort of shelving area and Randy Orton's on a table and Edge jumps off, delivers the big elbow through the table and at this point, this is another Twitter highlight from Mania. Beth Phoenix tweets out a picture of Edge delivering the elbow drop and in quotation marks says, yeah, I'll come back, but I'm not going to do any of that ladder stuff again. End quotation. And then Edge replies, I'm sorry. Beth Phoenix replies, we'll talk about this later. So someone's in the doghouse for this spot. I was all about this. At one point, I thought they were actually going to do the... um, Because they were crawling around and, like, fighting around this forklift. And the forklift was sort of... It was loaded, but it was slightly raised. And I was like, oh, they're going to do the Mick Foley rock spot from their empty arena match, and they're going to crush... Yeah, I thought they were going to do that, but they didn't. Which... They ended up doing some much better stuff that fit the storyline a lot better. But I was kind of bummed they didn't do something with the forklift. So, going towards the end of the match, on top of the NXT truck, Edge hits a spear, sets up for a second one, but gets turned into an RKO. Edge is laying down. Randy climbs off the truck to get two chairs to climb back up the truck. As he goes to hit, Edge puts on a sleeper hold, and Randy's laying down on top of one of the chairs. The ref starts counting, and Edge goes, Stop your counting, ref. Yeah, that was awesome. He picks up the second chair and sort of starting to shake and not sure what he should do. And delivers a concerto to Randy and then the ref counts to 10 and the match is over. Yeah, so much emotion towards the end of this match. Like, Edge is in tears. Um, 
lots of people, uh, quotation mark, reputable wrestling journalists, not big fans of this match. Um, I loved it. Like, there were a lot of complaints about the length of this match. Yeah, 36 and a half minutes. I was watching with uh, five, six friends over Zoom, and we were having a good time during this match, and the time really flew by for me. Yeah, the the only problem I had with this match, which I already brought up with you, was one of the um, spots in the gym that, if anyone knows uh, wrestling history, may look a bit questionable. Yeah, yeah, I'll sort of leave it at that, but I honestly didn't even notice it or even think twice about it. But, yeah, now that you brought it up to me off air, it definitely makes sense. It makes me comfortable about it, and I'll get your opinion on that. Um, It's just that that one spot that sort of stopped it from being a a great match, in my opinion. So then we see... Uh, Mojo Rollies running around the PC. He's being chased by a bunch of people. Yeah, just like randoms, like even more no-named than the usual 24-7 squad. And R-Truth wasn't in this group. Um, They start brawling underneath the perch where Gronk's been most of the night not doing much. He does this sort of trust fall off the perch and pins uh, Mojo to claim the title. He gets up. Gronk celebrates becoming the new 24-7 champion, but soon runs away as he realises the entire locker room is chasing after him. Yeah. Whatever. Get your ESPN moment, WWE. Whatever. Which they did on Raw. Oh, of course they did. Speaking of Raw... (laughs) It's your Raw Tag Team Championship, the Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford versus Austin Fury and Angel Garza with Selena Vega in their corner. I would kill to watch variations of this match over and over and over again. Well, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for those who don't know, including myself, Alex, what does We Want the Smoke mean? Pretty much means give us the fight. Bring us the fire. Bring us the heat. Bring the fight. Yeah. Um, so this is a match about six minutes. Um, I don't really have all that much to add. It's kind of like most of the Street Profit matches you've seen before. Dawkins playing the powerhouse, Ford playing sort of the high flyer, fast agile guy. Um, they end up hitting atop the heavens and Dawkins gets the pinfall victory on Fury. Um, I... I didn't hate this match. It was good. Like, these are four extremely talented dudes. I think Montez Ford is a legitimate future world champion. He has the look. He has the charisma. He has the athletic ability. Like, it's only a matter of time for Montez Ford. And Austin Theory has so much potential. And Angel Garza has a lot of potential. And Angelo Dawkins plays his role well, I guess. And Zelina Vega's awesome. But this was this was good. Nothing more than that. After the decision... Garza and Fury are in the ring attacking the Street Profits as Selena shouts instructions. But all of a sudden, Bianca Belair runs down to break up this interference. Bianca Belair running to attack Selena and stand tall with the champions. What did you think of this WrestleMania debut? I really like Bianca Belair being on Raw. I think she's got a lot of interesting opponents on Raw. And there's a lot of great options for her. So... 
Bianca Belair is a legit star in the making, and I can't wait to see what she does with her main roster run. And already knowing the uh, winner of the NXT women's match, if you had left her in NXT, the only um, option would be to have her and Charlotte, and Charlotte already run her down verbally, saying, you're not on my level, why should I worry about you? Yeah, so essentially it's kind of a trade of Raw and NXT for Bianca and Charlotte. We then see Titus O'Neil up in the perch. He's our replacement host of WrestleMania for the rest of the evening. Now Gronk's left, he's the host of WrestleMania, saying that it's been a great night so far sort of thing. Yeah, we all know in hindsight the only reason why Titus O'Neil was brought on for this We'll get there later. Match number 18. It's a fatal five-way elimination match for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. Uh, champion Bailey defending against Lacey Evans, Sasha Banks, Naomi, and Tamina. Do you have much to say about this match before I start reading that mission? I have as much to say as the WWE had to say about this match before it, so no. <laughs> <laughs> Do you um, enjoy the two-week build-up that was announced by Tout? <laughs> Tout? Is tout still a thing? I don't know. Yeah. I was like, they announced it on tout. What? No, I mean, Paige announced it over um, Skype instead. <laughs> yeah, right. But, um, yeah, I didn't have much expectations going into this match. And those low expectations were lived up to. I'll just start reading out the eliminations. Tamina's... Eliminated first, she's pinned by everyone, so that's... Bailey, Lacey Evans, Naomi, and Sasha Banks. Next eliminated was Naomi. She tapped out to Sasha Banks. Third eliminated was Sasha Banks, who was pinned by Lacey Evans. So Bailey hit like a running knee into the corner, but Evans moved and she hit Banks by mistake. And then Lacey went to do the women's right to Bailey, but Bailey ducked and she hit Sasha. And then finally it's Lacey and uh, Evans gets eliminated by Bailey after interference from Sasha. Yeah. So I know you were um, off air. Do you like the dissension between Bailey and Sasha Banks during this match and Bailey's hesitation to break up the pinfall on her best friend? Yeah, I actually really loved that touch because it's like Oh, should I break it up? It's my friend. But but i got to protect my championship, so why bother breaking up this pin? But it does seem like we're going to get a continuation of the never-ending sasha Bailey feud. Well, these guys have been feuding for, what, two years now? It's just... Oh, I'm just so over these two. Well, even longer if you want to go back and count their time in NXT. Yeah, exactly. Like, if they are going to do it, just go full on with it immediately. Just get to the meat and potatoes. Get to the big match portion of this because I'm sick of them slow building a Bailey sasha feud. So does Sasha challenge Bailey next for the championship? I don't know. I... I'm just so over both of these two. Bailey's heel run for me isn't doing anything for me. She just seems, it seems a little too generic. A little too like, you people this, you people that. 
you sheep, you people, and now they're in a situation where the people aren't there yet. She's still sort of complaining about the people. Um, so match number 19, your co-main event of WrestleMania 36. It's the Firefly Funhouse match, The Fiend Bray Wyatt versus John Cena. All right, folks, let's strap ourselves in here because we're going to have to have a bit of a lengthy discussion about everything in this match. There's so much, like, awesome storytelling elements to this. This is obviously the other match I've shown to Eliza. She loved every second of it, and I'll let you explain it, Chris. So... John Cena enters the PC and he's got his little uh, outfit on, like his normal outfit, and he's going to the camera, Welcome to WrestleMania! Now, what did your uh, girlfriend think of John Cena's entrance gear? Oh, so (laughs) Eliza looks at him and she just goes, Why does he dress like a 12-year-old boy? I was like, because that's his fan base. She's like, he's so ugly. And it's, he's so ugly looking. Like, it's so horrible. It's such a violent green. Like, it's just, (laughs) it just smashes you in the eyes. It's so, so there. (laughs) (laughs) Violent green. Yeah, and... And as he says, welcome to WrestleMania, it sort of does the whole, like, cuts to Vince McMahon and Mean Gene Oakland, like, all saying, welcome to WrestleMania. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this. It's sort of B-roll of Vince and Mean Gene that keep saying it. And then it sort of goes into the funhouse with Bray. And yeah, so John Cena gets teleported into the funhouse. It's oh, awesome. But before that, yeah. Bray's in the funhouse and he walks through this door to another part of the funhouse and on it it says, Abandon or hope ye who enter. So then after he enters, Cena arrives and he's talking to Ramblin' Rabbit and Rabbit's like, oh yeah, Bray went through that door. He went that way. <laughs> So he goes through the door, and this is where things really pick up. <laughs> because he runs into Mr. Bossman, who asks him, Do you have enough ruthless aggression? This was amazing. And he just keeps prodding him in the chest with his little puffer. <laughs> yeah, and the way John Cena reacted to it, like, what the hell's going on here? Like, what is this? And then we cut to Bray in the ring, and he's doing this word-for-word almost promo of when Kurt Angle did his open challenge, John Cena debuted. Yeah, and sort of cutting between Kurt Angle saying the promo and Bray saying the promo. It was so awesome. Such a cool, like, throwback. I loved it. But if I loved that bit, what happens next? is just mind-blowing. So then the camera sort of turns off Bray and cuts to John Cena, and he's in his um, debut sort of inspired attire in front of the big SmackDown fist. And he Oh, down. it was so cool. And at this point, Eliza's like, oh, man, 
And she's just gone full, like, eyeballs just going on for John Cena. A person that she just called, like, ugly, like, two minutes ago, now is in next to nothing. And she's like, oh, my God, have a look at him. Isn't he shredded? I'm like, yes, it's John Cena. Obviously, he's handsome. And then he enters the ring, and Bray keeps asking him, oh, what makes you, like, stand out? And he keeps going ruthless aggression and tries to hit Bray, but Bray keeps ducking. Yeah, they got like cartoon sound effects going on during all of this. It was just awesome. And then probably one of the things I laughed hardest for, he ducks him and then he pops back up and goes, you can look, but you can't touch. (laughs) And he does the Nikki Bella twirl and everything like... It was perfect. Oh, so funny. And then they sort of cut to Saturday night's main event with Macho Mercy and Mr. Bossman on commentary. Yeah, and, like, just before this, like, Bray says in the ring with Ruthless Aggression John Cena, he talks about how this version of of John Cena was a failure and all that. So it sort of makes it obvious that Bray Wyatt's trying to make John Cena face all of ins- all of his insecurities, fears, and failures from his career. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that leads to this Saturday night's main event thing. They show the original Saturday night's main event, like, intro video with the music it was awesome and then they cut to like this backstage promo there's a saturday night's main event banner in the background and it's bray so they're standing behind the old blue steel cage as well which was awesome and it's good to see that make its wrestlemania return and Bray's just, like, doing a typical, like, 80s, like, brother-brother promo, and I got my... I got my tag team partner with me, brother. Large meat. <laughs> and I've, out I've comes John admit, Cena. I laughed at that because I thought he said Johnny lunch meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eliza thought he said Johnny large man, which was which is also a funny option. Um... <laughs> Johnny Largeman, very similar to what is it, Philip Adultman from PWA? Yeah, the, the prefix uh, alter ego. But uh, we'll get, we'll talk about Australian wrestling another time. Um, so, yeah, so at this point, like Bray Wyatt, as he's introducing Johnny Largeman, he says something along the lines of. He doesn't need to have talent because he's got all his muscles. And points out again that it's John Cena yet again facing another criticism of his career. He doesn't have the in-ring ability, but he doesn't need to. He's a top guy because he's got the muscles. Yeah, exactly. And this was interesting because by now you can see there's a pan emerging of Bray forcing uh, Cena to face all his insecurities, all his past failures in a way. 
Yeah, it's really good. And then John Cena comes out, Johnny Largemate comes out, and he's got his dumbbells and he's smashing out some bicep curls. He's going a million miles an hour. They zoom in on his chest and it's bulging and the veins are popping out. And they cut to Abby the Witch in the funhouse and her jaw drops. <laughs> I got a laugh out of that. <laughs> oh, that was great. Just just cheeky Abby the Witch getting her perv on. And then John Cena's arms just turn to rubber as he tries to swing at Bray, but he has no control over his arms. It's fantastic. And from there, we sort of move on to the next incarnation of Cena, which is Word Life Cena. Yeah, he's back in the back in the Yankees gear, and he's got the chain and the padlock and the knocks, and it's awesome. He comes out past the um, SmackDown fist again. So he's in the ring with Bray, and he's trying to talk, but he, he realizes he can only talk in rhymes. Yeah, that's awesome. Like. Bray has complete control over everything John Cena's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any of the rhymes or anything else thrown down for this part? Uh, at one point, like John Cena, like mentions, uh, pokes fun of Husky Harris and his weight management problems, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it was pretty good like crickets are playing every time John Cena finishes a line and they sort of deliberately make John Cena look a bit cheesy doing this which was great yeah and then from there we move on to Wrestlemania 30 Bray the white family cult leader fedora wearing Hawaiian shirt wearing lamp carrying claw wearing Bray yeah this was awesome too because he's going, why didn't you listen to him? Didn't you hear them sing? And it cuts to this footage of the arena before the match and they're all singing he's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah, so just before this, sorry, I completely blanked. Um, Bray says to rapping John Cena, see, this is what you do, John. You think you're a hero, but you pointed out my, my insecurities and you make jokes out of them. You're a bully, John. So that point... He's now po pointed out the hypocrisy of John Cena's career about how he would pretty much come out and bully people in his promos, but then go out and talk about the Bear Star campaign, basically, which people have pointed out many times on the internet. Yeah, that whole campaign with WWE can look at certain parts where it is open to criticism. Yeah, definitely. And that was what the the rap portion of this story was trying to point out, was the hypocrisy of John Cena. Yeah, and then with um, WrestleMania 30 Bray, it's sort of Bray saying, this was my biggest failure, and why didn't you listen to him? And it cuts to where Bray was giving him a chair and telling him to finish it, but he didn't want to hit him with a chair. Yeah, was, and it's sort of talking about how Basically, the whole world was in 
Bray Wyatt's hands, and John Cena took that away from him. And then... Yeah, and everyone was there for Bray Wyatt. Like, that was the peak of Bray Wyatt's popularity. And it sort of all went, literally did go pretty downhill from there for the Bray Wyatt character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else, Tad, before I move on to the next part? No, no, go ahead. So then all of a sudden, we're seeing a Nitro intro, but it's not just any Nitro, it's NWO Nitro, and Bray's there in a red and black Wolfpack shirt. (laughs) Yeah, this was awesome. So they're doing the cut from promo thing that they were doing with Bray and Kurt Angle, but now they're sort of cutting back and forth between Bray doing a Eric Bischoff promo, and you know personally, Chris, that I've recently been binging all of like 1997 WCW Nitros so yeah you found a a little bit of a somewhat hidden gem the other day involving Disco Inferno Yuji Nagata the same Yuji Nagata of New Japan the same Yuji Nagata of New Japan and they just go out and have a technical clinic in 97 and I'm like what is this Uh, but yeah back to um, Bray's promo. So he's doing almost sort of word for word this um, NWO uh, promo of Eric Bischoff introducing his best friend, Mr. Hulk Hogan. But Bray's introducing his best friend, Mr. It's J- Hollywood John Cena. <laughs> this was so <laughs> great. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Like this, this part felt like it was made for me. Like, I was just... Because you're already in an NWO shirt. I was literally wearing an NWO shirt whilst this happened. Like, this was so good. And John Cena comes out, he's doing all the mannerisms, he's got the spray-painted NWO title. Like, this was awesome. Two sweet spray wide in the ring. It was fantastic. And then from um, there, do you want to take it forward as to what's next? Yeah, so from this point, John Cena dives and tackles Bray Wyatt and he starts unleashing punches on him because this is this is the heel John Cena that we always wanted, that John was too afraid to give us. This is heel John Cena. He's aggressive. He's smashing him. He's punching him over and over and, and they cut to Ramble and Rabbit and, and he's saying, stop it, you're going to hurt him. He's not going to like that. And John Cena keeps punching and punching and he looks down and it's not Bray anymore, it's Huskus the pig boy. Yeah, I found this really interesting and just to realise that Cena wasn't attacking Bray the entire time, he's attacking Huskus, who represents the former sort of Husky Harris. Yeah, he's bullying again he's bullying an insecure character again that's kind of what it was showing now that i think about it like and this whole thing of like the whole him coming out in nwo stuff the comparisons over the years of like all john cena needs to do is turn heel like hulk hogan did and all that sort of stuff. So they're giving us what we wanted. Yep. And it's just, oh, there's so much thought put into this. And 
as he's laying in these punches on Huskus, you hear like Cena sucks, Cena sucks, and the crowds piped in of them hating on John Cena at shows like CM Punk and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm surprised they showed the CM Punk uh, blowing the kiss when he won the title when he left WWE. They show various clips of the ECW one-night stand. They show all these different things of um, when the fans sort of retaliated against Cena. Yeah, so it's pointing out another insecurity of John Cena's. As this is happening... He's unleashing more punches on poor Huskus, and then the Fiend crawls up from behind John Cena. Yeah, and the Fiend sort of attacks Cena. He puts on the claw, which I think was questionable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In this day and age, it's kind of uncomfortable seeing a man put another man's hand in his mouth and all that sort of stuff. But what happens here is he puts the claw on, and then he sets up for... (laughs) Sister Abigail, and as he sets up for that, you hear oh, you hear the voiceover of John Cena from the SmackDown before this. I'm finally going to put an end after six years to the most overrated, overhyped, overvalued re- wrestler in the company in this business. And he, whilst he was directing that at Bray Wyatt at the time, they made it perfectly clear that John Cena was putting an end to himself. Oh, absolutely. And it just played out so brilliantly, this whole match. Yeah, this was amazing. And then he hits the Sister Abigail, applies the claw, Firefly Funhouse Bray comes in, counts the three. Which was brilliant. (laughs) That was awesome. Not exactly unbiased refereeing, but that's fine. And and John uh, John Cena's laying on the ground, the fiend poses, and John Cena literally just vanishes in air, and you can't see him anymore. And in my opinion, this was the perfect way to write off John Cena for good. I'd have to agree. If he's gone for a, a fair while and then comes back, I don't know, let's say five years' time like Dwayne did, then I think you've sort of left it open for maybe one or two more matches like The Rock did. Yeah, but they've sort of addressed everything from John Cena's career in this, and if there's any way to write him off, this is the best possible way. Oh, absolutely. And just like the Boneyard match, it also had a very fitting ending for The, under- for the Undertaker. He off into the sunset. John Cena literally vanished and you can't see him. It's just perfect. Like, the storytelling in both of those matches was insanely, like, intricate, detailed, so much thought put into it. I loved every second of this. And then from there we go on to probably one of the most seen photos on social media the past two days. (laughs) Titus O'Neil with his hands on his head's gone. What did I just watch? And at this point, Eliza goes, hmm, who's that? He's, he's kind of hot. <laughs> and I was just blown away because I was like, like, I know Titus O'Neil's not an ugly man. Like, he's a fit fella, but I never really thought Titus O'Neil was the kind of bloke that was just an immediate, like, sex symbol. Jeez. 
Yeah, well, I suppose uh, he's a good-looking guy. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Uh, so from there, we move on to your WrestleMania main event. It's Brock Lesnar, WWE Champion versus Drew McIntyre, who won the Royal Rumble. Yes. So are you going to need help recalling the moves in this one as well? <laughs> no, there wasn't too many moves in this one. There's a few F5s and that at the start. Eventually, Drew hits a claim, but two followed by Drew kicking out of the F5 at one. Yeah, that was actually quite good. I really enjoyed Drew kicking out of the F5 at one. And Brock kicking out of the Claymore, I don't think anyone's done that before. I don't think anyone's kicked out of their 5 at one before, so... Yeah, and then just in the closing stages here, Drew hits a third, then a fourth Claymore kick and pins Brock Lesnar in four minutes to become the new WWE World Heavyweight Champion. I'm, I'm very glad that he's finally got the title and the recognition he deserves. He was the chosen one. <laughs> Goddamn right he was. And yeah. I, I still recall seeing him in the suburbs of Melbourne in person having a death match against Mad Dog McRae. So... Oh, jeez. <laughs> I watched him drop the Outback Championship wrestling title to Mad Dog. <laughs> was that at um, White Horse? No, no, it was a different place. There was some uni somewhere. Oh, okay. And they br- rolled into the uni parking lot and everything. <laughs> and like we're all just running, chasing after him. And now Mad Dog McRae can say that his pinned a WWE champion. So, um, justice for Mad Dog, give him a title shot. He's earned it. <laughs> Should count. Yeah. Um, so... WrestleMania night two overall, thumbs up or thumbs down? Um, thumbs up. Not as big of a thumbs up overall as night one. Yeah, but still definitely an overall like positive experience watching night two. I'd have to agree. I say thumbs up for night two as well. Do you have time for Raw? I wished I didn't, but <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Okay, so first match of the night was Oscar and Liv Morgan. Not really much to say. Oscar got uh, Liv Morgan got a few two counts before Oscar made her tap in the Oscar lock. Yeah, that no- happened. Nothing really <laughs> to add there. I don't have anything to say about that. Uh, it, it's fun. I love Oscar. I love Liv. The match yeah. was what it was, though. So then there's WrestleMania post-match interview with Becky. She sounded a bit disingenuous and maybe arrogant yeah she's being a smart ass face thing that she is but i don't know I'm, i need something fresh from her yeah she's been on top for a, a year now and the last year hasn't really lit the world on fire with consecutive title defenses against lacey evan and mixed tags with seth and barry Baron there, Corbin. There was a good three month spell there where she didn't even defend it. So, yeah, that too. Um, we have the ad for NXT TakeOver TV. Um, it's going to be Champa and Gargano. Who do you think's winning that? I think it has to be Gargano to really get over his heel persona. 
I'd have to agree there. And then the number one contender six-woman ladder match for Charlotte Flair's newly won NXT Women's Championship. So it's Chelsea Green, Tegan Knox, Candice LeRae, Mia Yim, Io Shirai, or Dakota Kai. Hmm. I'm thinking it's going to be Mia Yim. I think it'll be Mia Yim as well because she's sort of the veteran of the group. But I would but, like to see Dakota Kai get a nice win. Yeah. I could also say uh, Candice LeRae versus Charlotte Flair would be amazing, I think. so Because she's so happy-go-lucky babyface. Yeah, yeah. I think those characters are sort of complete opposites that are, would really gel well together in a match. Um, there was an ad for the Edge documentary. You said you watched some of that so far. I've watched all of that after night one or night two of Mania. I sat down and I watched the entire Edge documentary. It even, like, he even references getting offers from another company and all that sort of stuff. The documentary was originally basically a documentary about life after wrestling, but... They kept filming for a little bit longer as situations unfolded where it wasn't really life after wrestling after all. And it is highly worth checking out. I also checked out uh, WWE 20, oh, not 24, it was Chronicle with Drew McIntyre, which at one point they film him being stuck in Europe and finding out or stuck in Scotland and finding out that there was a travel ban from Europe to America and having to quickly rush to get back to America because the UK weren't banned yet and they weren't sure if they would be. It was really interesting watch, and I also checked out The Undertaker's Last Ride special, which is also a really excellent watch because you get a lot of Undertaker out of character. So from those excellent watches, we go on to what is the worst part of Raw. We go to three consecutive matches involving a combination of Street Profits and Bel Air versus Fury, Gaza and Vega. I like all of these wrestlers. They are all extremely talented at what they do. But geez, I don't need to say this over and over and over and over again after I saw it the night before. Yeah, I think if this had aired Saturday, this might have been better. I don't think it would have been. (laughs) So the first one was Street Profits defending the titles again. So Bianca wasn't at ringside. Selena interferes and got her team disqualified. Then Belair comes out after the match and challenges Selena to a match. Yeah, the whole Bianca Bianca like run-in was pretty much the exact same thing from the night before until she cut a promo asking for a match. It was stupid. Okay, and then the second match was Selena Vega with Theory and Garza in versus Belair and Street Profits in her corner. Now, this was good. There was people at ringside making noise, but Montez Ford throwing Fury into the ring to get his wife disqualified was pointless. I was so angry at this point. <laughs> yeah, this was dumb. And then they Ford got on the mic and said he wanted a six-person tag. Yeah, by the time that match ended in disqualification, you just knew where this was going 
and you're like, oh, God, they're punishing me for caring, aren't they? Then they went to Bel Air and the Street Profits versus Selena, Fury, and Gaza in a six-person tag where the men must face men and women must face women. By this point, we've seen four matches in the past 24 hours with these people, and this ended with a clean pinfall by Belair on Zelina after a KOD. This lasted 35 minutes and went through four commercial breaks. Two thumbs down. I hated this. Yeah. Also, no hair Third thumb down. Yep. All the everything down. I hated this. This was dumb. I actually turned off for a little bit and started what watching the most latest episode of BTE instead, so This is the point where I realized maybe we shouldn't have watched Raw for this. <laughs> yeah. We then go on to something different finally. Lashley cuts a promo saying his wife cost him the match and he wants a new wife after spending about six months trying to win Lana from Rusev. Why should I care? Well, I don't know. You and I both played footy, Hoggy. Yeah. Uh, I played footy. I've had a missus on the sideline yelling at me, telling me what to do to help me out. I've done what she's asked me to do. And then we end up losing the game. And afterwards, obviously, I'm going to dump my missus, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it works. Like, yeah, I totally sympathise with Bobby on this. Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is just ridiculous. If this results in MVP being Bobby Lashley's manager, that's fine. Anything else, I don't care. Wasn't he Matt Hardy's manager or something? Uh, No, he got... Didn't he get beaten up by Randy Orton? Yeah, but he was gonna... He, like, tried to offer um, Edge to be Edge's manager. Oh, that was it, yeah. And then Edge and when they were both at the peak of their careers, in my opinion, so... We can only hope. Yeah. Um, Next match was Alistair Black defeating Apollo Clues with a black mask. Um, Before tonight, I couldn't tell you what brand Apollo Crews was even on. Yeah, um, I I sort of remembered because he was getting beaten in handicap matches, teaming up with Shorty G against Sheamus before all this craziness happened. But yeah, Apollo Crews, who cares? And this match, particularly because of the stuff with the Street Profits milking so much time earlier, this one, even though it wasn't longer... It felt so much longer. And it's because Black was so quiet during his match. And that went for the one on WrestleMania. He doesn't trash talk. He doesn't grunt or make any noises. He's so quiet for as like epic goth rocky entrance music. It kind of makes sense to his character, in my opinion, because he's like the stoic, like, come fight me, like, evil guy. But Well, yeah. then have Cruz talking in his match and have Bobby talking in his match because yeah, that's so where quite... it went wrong. Yeah. They were bad. Moving on, next match was a tag team match. Cedric and Ricochet versus 
Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch. This was a good match on Raw. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Lorcan and Birch, uh, the Britain Bombers or whatever their name is. Yeah. Like, I loved it. I loved them. Good, fast-paced, explosive match, and it didn't outstay its welcome, so it was something different. Yeah. I'm uh, all on board for any matches that are one segment or less. Yeah, unless you're going to have like a hardcore match or you're going to at least have seconds ringside to make noise. It's If you're going to have an Alistair Black match, just have a squash. He doesn't need yep. to be in there for 10 minutes making no noise. Yep. Uh, Kevin Owens has a backstage interview, says he's proud of his WrestleMania moment and defeating Seth. Then Seth has a match against a de- debuting Denzel Dijonich from the Performance Center. He was a part of the 2008 July class, which included Keith Lee, Io Shirai, and Diana Parazzo. Seth made quick work of him, one after a curb stomp. I, uh, I have no issues with squash matches on television, though. I love them. Oh, yeah. Um, next match, speaking of Diana Parazzo, it's her versus Nia Jax. Yeah, the former Mrs. Villain. Yeah, you were saying yesterday that uh, they're no longer together, which I was quite shocked about. Yeah, yeah, so they've gone their separate ways. But, um, yeah, I've kind of hoped for a bit more out of Deonna's career than just being random raw jobber, but, oh, well, she's getting the payday. That's all that matters. And I think at the moment, like, she has been in NXT. She was in one of the qualifying matches for the uh, six-person ladder match this week, but I think she is just at the moment with the main roster being stretched. She's someone being used to fill that lower card role on the main roster. Mm. So Nia won quickly after a Samoan drop in DDT um, and commentary was sort of talking her up as the next potential challenger to Becky because she's been gone for a year, so we haven't seen that match before. Um, hey, Hoggy, um, who busted open Becky's face? Oh, God, you're right. It was Nia Jax. <laughs> They've had a bit of a feud. Some would say it actually led to Becky Lynch's rise to Nance, but yeah, I don't think they've had too many big pay-per-view matches yet, so that's fine. Um, Nia Jax... Yeah, she's good. She's a she's a big monster that the women's division needs. So without Charlotte on Raw as the big heel, there really isn't too many monster heels on Raw at the moment. So this is a good spot for Nia to be in. And speaking of rather larger athletes, we go to Humberto Carrillo versus Brendan Vink. Vinky! Living yeah, that trophy it's... life. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's good good to see Vinky on Raw again. Um, yeah, third time now, I believe. Yeah. Um, have a look at his Twitter. He put up a, a spoof on a Raw TV commercial where he's inserted himself into the commercial because <laughs> he feels like he deserves to be in it now that he's been on a few times. It's awesome. Um, uh, I'm sort of in two minds about Vinky doing this stuff. Like, it's awesome that he's getting the exposure, but also he's not the sort of guy you should be doing this with. 
Yeah, so at one point he's out on the um, floor and Carrillo's going for a dive of middle ropes and Vink just lifts up his boot while he's on the floor and just hits him as he goes to dive on the outside with a big running boot sort of style uh, kick. But yeah, at the moment he does look at home in the WWE. He's a bigger man, so he is looking well in there. And I think it's just another case of like the other NXT performers being called up because the roster's spread thin and people aren't travelling. Yeah, definitely. It, it makes sense. I just... Wish they'd use someone else than him, and I'd rather see Vink be in something a bit more prominent on NXT or Raw. Well, he has been teaming with uh, Fawn, so they try to reform the mighty there. Yeah, I would just like to see him involved in a proper storyline or something like that. Bring back Sex Rock. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so WWE has a news package saying, oh, we're on Fox Sports and ESPN, and oh, look at us, and Gronk won our title. Then they air their social pack uh, media thing saying, oh, look, we've got so many social media followers tweeting about WrestleMania. Then a WrestleMania 37 ad. At the moment, would you consider travelling to WrestleMania next year? I don't think with the current climate and all that sort of stuff, the state of the world, I don't think I'm going to travel outside of Australia in the next couple of years. Just... Just for safety's sake. But if all this wasn't going on, I would consider it. It is the perfect location for out-of-country tourists. Yeah, because you're already spending around 20 hours on a plane from Sydney to LA. You don't want to be getting a connecting flight to go across to New York or something. But yeah, I think given everything, I'm as much as I'd love to go to a WrestleMania, I don't think I'll be doing that in the next few years. No, but what I do want out of this WrestleMania is them to turn back the clock and do the Wrestlemania movie spoof commercials that they did before Wrestlemania 21 when they had like Eugene B. Forrest Gump and Triple H doing Braveheart oh, they need to do like fake movie trailers again. They probably will when it comes closer to the date Otherwise, it's sort of a missed opportunity. I need, like, a WWE Avengers trailer so I could just lose my mind over it. Or well, just have Brock as um, Thanos. Yep, yep, <laughs> 100%. Like, maybe John Cena as Captain America and all that sort of stuff. Oh, gosh, that'd be interesting. Or if they do the first Iron Man, I don't know if you recall, if you've seen it, but the first Iron Man movie starts with an ACDC song, so Vince would love it. It's now time for your Roar After Mania main event. Yeah, so all night they've been hyping up. You wouldn't believe what happened after the WrestleMania main event last night. You wouldn't believe what went down. And then they do this. Go ahead, Chris. Drew's in the ring saying, oh, it's so great to win. I've only gone and got the plates on the title change from Brock to mine, and they look great, don't they? And then I haven't had time to talk to my parents or anyone, any of my family or friends, and then all of a sudden you hear someone very familiar music. Well, well, it's a big show. And Big Show comes down to the ring with a referee and says that while he congratulates Drew, he wants to challenge him for the championship. And keep keep track, ladies and gentlemen. The last time we saw Big Show on television, he was a face teaming with Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe against Seth and his disciples. 
And we get another turn. We get a turn. It's just becoming a parody of itself now. It's just they're only booking Big Show to turn him now. Is there like a Reddit thread that lists every Big Show turn? There, there has to be. There would be somewhere. This was insane. Um, also, I got really nervous. Like, you and I both know that Big Show show just got released on Netflix. Yeah, so I thought, oh, God, they're going to change it to Big Show so they can get more publicity for his Netflix show and... Oh, God, aren't the Scots going to be happy to wake up at 7 in the morning after this is aired and figure out Drew's no longer champion? Yeah, and the way they'd been hyping it all night, it was like, you won't believe what happens. Like, Big Show turns heel. No, that's not the unbelievable part. So it must be Big Show's going to win the WWE title. But thankfully... Ever had a... um. (laughs) WrestleMania dark match, like a um, main event WrestleMania dark match, and you were saying no, you could think it, of one. No, and so they start this match with Big Show and Drew for the title, and the commentators start banging on about Drew McIntyre just won the title twenty minutes ago, and now is having to defend it again. Never before in WrestleMania history has someone had to defend the title immediately after winning it. And immediately I'm just like, WrestleMania 9, Yokozuna beat Bret Hart for the title, and then straight afterwards, Hulk Hogan came out, helped Bret Hart out of the ring, and then challenged Yokozuna for the title and beat Yoko for the title of Mania. Good old Hogan helping out his good friend Bret Hart there by winning the championship. Hogan must pose, brother. Yeah, and also WrestleMania 31, the famous Seth Steele with Gashin on Roman and Brock. There's definitely instances where it's changed, but whatever. They're not in tune with their own product. Why should we care? Yeah, and there's not really much to this match. It's just big show because he's a fresher man. He's off his strength to Drew, who's just gone for a match. And then uh, big show keeps teasing him, saying, if you want to be champion, this is how you have to work for it. you got to defend it all the time, Drew. But Drew ends up building up his strength back, hits a Claymore, and pins Big Show. Yep, and that was the end of Raw, just like that. uh, Drew's kneeling over Big Show, he's still on the mat with the championship in his hand and the refs pointing it to him. That was close there, though. There was a near fall there after the choke slam that I was like, oh no, it's happening, it's happening. But thank God it didn't. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, there was a few moments where you're thinking, no, that would be like WWE to take away a great feel moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, it's not out of the realm of possibilities of Big Show just randomly getting a title reign. And, like, yeah. Oh, well, we survived that roar. Not quite the mania after Raw of years past, but But I thought they'd still at least do something interesting or maybe throw in a a classic match or a few more interviews or something, but that Street Profits segment was just never-ending. Yeah, that's that's what really dragged down Raw. Like, if you haven't seen Raw, there's nothing worth it to check. A tag with Jay and Cedric, and if you're an Aussie, check out Fink's match. Yeah, that, that's all you need to say. 
Yeah. Anything else to add for this edition, Alex? WrestleMania. Four to five five thumbs up. And Raw, 78 thumbs down (laughs) on a scale of two. I had fun on Mania Weekend after after all of this anyway, and it was good to take my mind off the crappy things going on in the world right now. Yeah, yeah, and this was mostly just a fun episode just to catch up and um, get back on the horse, so to speak, with our podcast. And, and also to cure our boredom from quarantine-niners, so... Yeah, that's it, too. It's good, good, like, with technology, we can do this over the phone while we're still self-isolating but yeah like guys at home if you like you can still do many things with technology at the moment like you can have virtual uh dinner with your friends or your partner you just set up a skype call or a facetime or i've had multiple piss-ups over zoom it's it's good like there's the technology out there hell if there's someone listening to this and wants to get in and have a chat with us on a podcast one day, let us know. Like, we've got nothing better to do. No, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, entertain us. If you've got some ideas for something for us to review, like, give us stuff to keep us occupied. Please, people. Yeah, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our uh, January 2020 review. We're going to be a bit more serious on that show address sort of why we were away so long and um and of course talk about the aussie scene from across january but at the moment we're in april and there's no aussie wrestling so we've got two and a half months of aussie wrestling to talk about and then we might have to start diving into some archives we might have to bust out an old vhs copy of wham bam or thank you ma'am Oh, don't you worry. I'm sure I can find a copy of that somewhere on the web. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Alex, where can the good people follow you on Twitter? They can find me on Twitter, Instagram, anything at FruityIsAlex, all one word. And feel free to hit me up with any critiques or criticisms or, hey, you're crap at this or whatever. Like, we need to hear from the people to know what we're doing right and wrong. Yeah, exactly. And if we don't hear, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm at I am Chris Funder on Twitter. You can follow me there. Of course, you can follow the show. We'll announce on the uh, show's Twitter when new episodes drop. That's WrestleOzStyle. WrestleOzStyle. Um, yeah, so until a couple of weeks when we talk to you again, Alex, anything to say to the listeners? Titus O'Neill's a sexy boy. (laughs) (laughs) See you later. Peace. Peace.